Good morning. There's a few of you who drank coffee this morning, but we are going to be in our last message today in First Timothy. If you want to turn in your Bibles uh, to First Timothy, and then next week we'll actually be starting a series in the book of Jonah. Be there for about five weeks. So even after, like starting next week, you can start to maybe read just read Jonah each week. It's like four chapters, four short chapters. And so just start reading that book, praying what the Lord would have to teach us through that book. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 6. In a moment, we'll look at verses 17 to 20. But first, I just want to ask this this question. Uh, Does anyone invest money? And does anyone like their money to grow when they invest it? It's like, no, no, not at all. Right, like so. Imagine, so if you invest for ten years, say you get ten percent on your money. I don't know, good, bad. I'm like not really an investor. Uh, what about twenty years at twenty percent? You're like, okay, maybe that's better, maybe long, longer term. What about forty years at forty percent? I don't know. I'm just making up numbers <laughs> in my mind. But I, I just think about this. The catch is there's kind of two things. One, the investment that you make with your money is not guaranteed. Uh, the second, and maybe you'll see it as that you start to have longer number of years. What about 50 years? What about 60? It's like we don't know when we're going to die, right? So even as you're investing money long term, you keep moving forward, keep going into the future. At some point, you're going to die, and who cares about that investment? So in, in one sense, we really need to take to heart, it doesn't matter how much you make, how much you invest, you can't take it with you. Or can you? We're going to talk about that a little this morning. As we look at this passage, I want us to just see three things. Up front, I just want to tell you. One is I want us to hope in what is certain, not uncertainty of riches, God. I want us to hope in what is certain, that's God. I want us to invest in what lasts. And that's actually sharing with what you have with others. Invest in what you have, make it last. And then lastly, kind of summarizing the letter, I want to talk about the responsibility of true riches, which is the gospel, which is God's word. So if if you want to stand with me, we're going to read God's word together. And I'm actually going to start, I'm going to read from verses 3 to 10 in chapter 6, and then 17 to 20. It's one thought. I just want you to see that. 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicion, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we'll be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, 
who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid their reverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. May God bless his word to our souls this morning. You can have a seat. And before continuing on, I'd just like to go again go to the Lord in prayer. Oh God, we love you. We've sang praises to you. And now as we open up your scripture, I just, I pray, oh Lord, that you would speak. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd speak through me. I pray, God, you would take these words and give us ears to hear, hearts that are open. I pray that you would be highly exalted through the preaching of your word and use it, Lord. Meet each one of us where we're at. Those who do not know you by your spirit, call them to yourself. Allow them to see the love, the beauty of Jesus Christ. Lord, those here who do know, whatever we're coming with, whatever we're carrying, Lord, may we be able to lay it at your feet. May you, by your spirit, continue to transform, form Jesus Christ in us. Lord, I come with nothing. And I pray, though, as I preach, that you would speak through me, Lord. Glorify yourself. Build up your church, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, looking at verse 17 to 19, I want, us to, I want us to, oh, sorry, verse 17, hope in what is certain. I want us to hope in what is certain. Again, Paul, this letter to Timothy, which we're finally, we're finishing, uh, Paul has been writing to Timothy, who's in a place called Ephesus, and there was a bunch of false teachers, and there was a bunch of people kind of maybe in leadership who shouldn't have been there, and people were very confused. So Paul writes to Timothy, this is what you need to do, this is what you need to be about. There's a lot of instruction about the church, and in the end, he kind of, he gets through this, this last chapter, and he's addressing first these kind of false teachers who are going after riches, who had their hearts set, the love of money, were running after the things that shine. And he kind of rebukes, he's like, Timothy, don't do that. And as he's like on, the, on that talk of riches and the love of money, Paul kind of steps away and he turns back to Timothy in verse 11. As for you, O man, o man of God, flee these things, pursue these things. Verse 12, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life. This encouragement, this exhortation to Timothy. And then as he's telling him to like, this is why you need to do it, he's like, because Jesus Christ is coming back. Then to verse 14, and then Paul, as he's talking about the return of Jesus Christ, he just goes into praise in 15 and 16. We looked at that last week. The, the sovereign God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. It's like as he's just exhorting Timothy, he just goes and starts focusing on who God is, just starts praising who he is. And he closed, amen, amen. And then he returns back, oh yes, also for the rich among us. It's like he, he, was, he was on that subject, he went to Timothy, he went to praise, and now he returns back to the rich. But not talking about those who would love money, those who would pursue it to the detriment to turn them away from the faith, but those who are true believers in Jesus Christ. The rich. 
As for the rich in this present age, he says, charge them not to be haughty nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. I want us to see where we should put our hope. But I, I hope you can see the contrast, what Paul is saying to the rich. And before we continue to look at that, I just want you to know, I want you to think about this. We are the rich. We live in the eighth richest country in the world. If you have three meals a day, clean drinking water, a roof over your head, a college education, you're like in the top 5% of the world. You're richer than 95% of the rest of the world. And if you think about like, what does it mean to be rich? Paul says this in 1 Timothy 6 verse 8, if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. So if we have more than food and clothing, and think about how much more we have than just food and clothing, we are rich. And the reason I'm just saying that, it's not a sin to be rich, it's not a sin to be poor, but we should all lean in a little closer. This message to the rich, the message to the rich in the church in Ephesus. There's a word that God has for all of us, I believe, here today. Paul says to Timothy, as for the rich in this present age, charge them, as in command them, call them to this. And he kind of has two negatives, don't do this, and then to a positive. The two negatives is, don't be haughty. Not a word we use very often. Don't be prideful. Don't be arrogant. Don't be conceited. Right? Money can do that. It can make us think we're a little better than others. Make us arrogant or conceited. And Paul, Paul's like, don't, don't do that. Stay humble. You, you have money, stay humble. He's going to tell you why that is here in a moment. So don't be haughty. Don't be conceited. What's the second thing he's calling the rich not to do? Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, uncertainty or untrustworthiness of riches. Think about like, hey, if I could just give you more and more money, more and more money, like you don't know what the strings are attached, just take it. Don't trust in the uncertainty of riches. It's like going on a, on a fast-moving river, and there's a raft in front of you, and there's holes in it, and water's pouring through, and you're like, would you get on it? If you could see up front, you're like, I don't think I'm going to get on that thing. I don't think it floats. That's what Paul is saying if we trust in riches, the uncertainty of riches. You can't bank your life on it. Proverbs 23, 4 to 5 says this, do not toil or do not wear yourself out to acquire wealth. Be, to, be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it or fix on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. That's what it's like just running, ever, never stopping after wealth. It's like you go to get it and it's gone, it flies away. Have you ever hoped in the uncertainty of wealth? I'm sure we all have different stories we could tell. I remember, uh, Newly married, my wife and I, we were in South Korea teaching English. And we were there to, uh, to pay off student debt. And it was a really good deal because like our housing was paid for and the food was quite cheap, not many expenses. So we just saved all this money. And the hope was that one time as we were finished teaching, at the very end, we would send our money home, pay off our student debt and have a chunk of change to keep. We only wanted to send it home once because there was a certain fee with doing it, being a good steward. Well, the last month that we were in South Korea, we had all our money in the bank, all our plans made, banking on the certainty of riches. Well, uh, North Korea sunk South Korea's battleship. Not a joke like they actually did. 
uh, it was their top battleship. Like, the place was actually on a brink of war, 2009. You might not remember it. I do, because I was in Korea, the Korea Peninsula. And so all these companies were starting to like, pull out of Korea. Like, is war about to happen? And so we saw the value of our Korean won, the dollar, and just start to like drop. Just like, oh man, when should we send it? Should we send it? So the certainty of riches is uncertain. What may be valued today is not, doesn't have value tomorrow. Why would we bank on the uncertainty of riches? It's, it's foolishness. In fact, Jesus would teach us just that. If you want to turn to Luke chapter 12, keep your finger in 1 Timothy I believe Jesus' teaching here is helpful to think about this, not hoping in the uncertainty of riches. Luke chapter 12, looking at verses 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So someone just calling on the crowd, there's a crowd of people, hey, Jesus, tell my brother to divide my inheritance with me, like, just calling him out. This guy has authority. Verse 14, but he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Like, why are you asking me? But I love, then he starts teaching with that question. We listen to this. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetedness or all greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I love that. It's just, it's so clear. One's life does not consist of the, in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will st- store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, This night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? You're going to die. And so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. That's someone who is hoping on the uncertainty of riches. Why is it so uncertain? Because we will all die. He was not hoping on God. Friends, all of us, we need to make sure that the stock market or our bank account should not dictate our emotions, right? Like if stock market's going up, our bank account's going up, we're like, oh man, life's so good. It drops again, we're like, oh, life's so bad. Goes up, like we cannot be like a yo-yo. That means we're putting our hope on the uncertainty of riches. And what does Timothy say, going back to 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, so don't be haughty, don't set our hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Put our hope on God. We need to look to God, pray to him, give thanks to him, get to know him, praise him, sing to him, and meditate upon him. I mean, like, think long, hard thoughts about who God is. I was just thinking the other day, just thinking how all the the planets revolving around the sun. I'm like, that is amazing. We're out here in space. Because God spoke into existence, our creator. I was just thinking about how God made that. It's amazing. We need to think on God so we can hope in God. And how do you know if you're hoping in God and not money? I think one of the ways is how do you react if you lose it? Like if you lose money. With uh, young kids, sometimes they, they act up and we punish them from time to time. 
And sometimes as we're punishing our kids for doing something, we're like, we're gonna, we're gonna take this thing away. And boldness, and maybe not too smart, they're like, I don't even care. It doesn't even matter. Not wise, not wise to do, right? <laughs> to your parents that they're taking something away. But because truly, they're like, it actually has no place in my heart. Take it away. That's, like, that's how, are we hoping in wealth? If as it's take, being taken away or if we're losing it, like, does it hurt? Or we're like, oh. Or we're like, okay. I'm hoping in God. You can strip me of what I have because I'm hoping in God. The thing about hoping in God is that God does not change. God does not move. Wealth, it can come and go. The value of it can rise and it can fall. But God is unchangeable. God's all-powerful. God is almighty. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We need to hope in God. As we saw in Paul talks about God in 1 Timothy 6, 15 to 16. He is the blessed and only sovereign. He rules over all the King of kings and Lord of lords. He rules over every ruler of this world. We need to hope in God. He's our rock. He's the everlasting God. Again, unchanging. And what does it mean? As we hope in God, Paul continues to go on, hope in God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Don't hope in the uncertainty of riches. Hope in God who does not change, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. What does that mean? I think it's helpful. Uh, Solomon in Ecclesiastes, I can just read this for you. Ecclesiastes 5, 18 to 20. Solomon wrote this. Solomon, like at the end of his life, he wanted to look at everything that had happened on the earth and write it down. That's the book of Ecclesiastes. And he's reflecting on life. He says this, Ecclesiastes 5, 18 to 20. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. God gives us these good gifts to enjoy. Everything to enjoy. We are to enjoy life, enjoy food, experiences, holidays, games, seasons, family, friends. That is a, a gift that God gives us. But I, I want you to see in that, but we still hope in what is certain. That's God. And even as we're enjoying things, it's not like, hey, focus on yourself. Just go for it. Put your head down. Live your best life now. That's not what it's saying. But God's giving us good gifts to enjoy. We need to enjoy it. But how do we enjoy the riches that we have? Paul continues to go on in this passage, looking at verses 18 to 19. So we want to hope in what is certain, and we want to be investing in what lasts. Want to be investing in what lasts. Looking at verses 18 to 19. Continuing on, talking about the rich. Again, I just want to say this. Money is not evil. The love of money is evil. That's what it says in 1 Timothy 6.10. But money is not evil. It's not bad to make a profit. It's good for business. Imagine if you had business owners like, no, no, we don't, we don't really want to make any money. They'd be closing down all over the place. That's the whole point of business, right? 
And for those of us, and I'd say most of us, or I'd say all of us who have money, it's not wrong, but what will we do with it? What will we do with what we have? And I think Paul addresses that. I think we want to be investing in what lasts. Again, this is a command to Christians, those who have already trusted in Christ, who have already said, yes, I want to follow Jesus, who already have the Holy Spirit in them, who are saying, God, you have control of my life. You dictate what I do, where I go. So this is writing to Christians. This is a command to Christians, the rich Christians. So this is not like a, okay, here's gonna, we're going to look at a list. It's not a list of like, if you do these things, God will be happy. No, it's like, you already love God. He's already in your life. And because you love God and are following Jesus, you want to do these things. That's where Paul's writing from. So look at this list with me in verse 18, speaking to the rich. They are to do good to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Kind of each statement he makes, it goes a little bit uh, more narrow. They are to do good. Like, what, what does that mean, to do good? Well, to do good works. And like, okay, we can maybe start to have a little bit more tangible thought on that. He talks about good works here in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 5.10, speaking of, of widows, they have a reputation of good works. If they've brought up children, have shown hospitality, those are good works, raising children, raising a family, having people in your home, opening your doors to other people, has washed the feet of the saints, serving other people in the church, blessing other people who know the Lord, helping them in some way, has devoted herself to every good work, this broad statement. So do good, do good works, be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share. Be generous and ready to share. The pattern of the early Christians, it, like right as the church got formed in the book of Acts, it said this about them in Acts 2 verse 45. They were selling their possessions and belongings to all as, as any had any need. The early church, they were like, they're like, okay, this person has a need. I'm going to sell. I got something extra, and I'm, I'm going to meet that need. They're being generous to each other. It says in Galatians 6, verse 10, Paul says this, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Like there's, we see in the scriptures, especially like it's caring for one another who are in the church. Then also, starting to look at how can you help others outside, but first off, the New Testament would highlight that considerably. So just thinking about this, this charge in verse 18, do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share. That would be share your finances, share the money that you have, give your money. I think it's helpful in just thinking about giving. I just want to take you to 1 Corinthians 16. That will be in 2 Corinthians verse 9. 1 Corinthians 16. At the end of this letter to the church at Corinth, there was this, um, this gift that was being raised to help the poor saints in Jerusalem, in Judea. And so all different churches, Paul is asking different churches, hey, we're going to raise some money. We're going to help these other people who don't have much, these other believers. So Paul gives this instruction at the end of 1 Corinthians 16. Verse 1 and 2, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you are also to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, 
so there'll be no collecting when I come. So that's where you kind of get the idea. As you make money, you set aside some money to give, set aside some to save, and the rest with your expenses. We see this precedent here talking to the church at Corinth. And then 2 Corinthians 16, looking at verse 9, some time has passed. Paul's like, hey, we're coming now to collect that gift we ask you to raise money for. And he says this about the giving, about the pooling the resources together. Looking at verse 6, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. The point of this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. But I want you especially to see verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I think that's so key. Like to be generous, to be willing to share, like out of the overflow of your heart. You never want to give, either give to the church or give to some other organization or give to someone in need, and you're like, oh, I really don't want to do this. I, take, take it, take it. Right? You, you don't want to do that. It says it's all about our heart. Whatever the amount that is that you decide on, do it cheerfully. Like that's the most important part. So he's not calling people like the rich to begrudgingly share and help people, but it's like as an overflow of your love for Jesus Christ. This is how we are to give. And I want you to see just a little bit more here in 2 Corinthians, continuing on verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He supplies seed to the sower. And bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing, increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be rich in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. This amazing thing, like as you give, like God's going to look over your needs. It's not saying like, hey, give a little. God's going to give you lots. But God, he's the one who gave it to you in the first place. And as you're generous, you'll see the generosity of God. So this is what we are called to do, going back there to Paul's instructions. In Timothy, do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share, and just thinking, where can we give? And up, if anyone was there at our, our meeting last week after church, we have a church that faithfully gives, that gives to our church. And if, this, if you're just visiting, like, we, I do not expect you at all to give to our church, but, but everyone who attends has been faithfully giving. It helps with salaries and rent, expenses for ministry, future church planting helping others in the church as has need. So that's one place that we give. Another place, if you see needs of someone else in the church and you're just aware of it, no one else is aware of it, if you can, you can, you can meet that need. You can help them. Or if there's maybe, maybe outside of the church, you have a neighbor or a family member, you know, you just know something, you heard something, you're talking with them and you're able to. You're able to help them. Be generous and willing to share. There's also, there's other organizations I, I think, I, I always think first in terms of our giving, in terms of our money, first we want to give it to getting the gospel out. Getting the message that Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried in the grave, rose again. Anyone who believes in him could have new life. Like I want that message to be heard by every single person. So giving to organizations that are doing that, maybe mission organizations, church planning efforts. But I think also more broadly, giving to different organizations, ministries that are meeting needs. 
Like the, like the mustard seed here in Red Deer. Like giving to help people who do not have enough to even have a meal. Giving to organizations like the Pregnancy Care Center. Who, who maybe some young women who are like just struggling and, uh, and they're struggling. Should I have an abortion? Should I not? And there's an organization that's like, no, come and we'll help you have this child and raise this child. Like that's a noble thing to give to, to support life. And the list could continue to go on and on. But I think as, we, as we're thinking about giving, it's just like with God's resources, do we have a closed hand or do we have an open hand? I think it's quite, it's that simple. With God's resources, talking about money, our hands closed or our hands open. And if they're open, then we'll see those opportunities for good works, where to be generous and ready to share. And again, so why, why do this? So look at verse 19 continuing. Be generous and ready to share, verse 19, thus storing up treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is truly life. I get, like, as you give and are generous here on earth, God says you're storing up treasure in heaven. By giving money away here, we can store treasure in heaven. It's amazing. Saying the same thing that Jesus said in Matthew 6, verses 19 to 20. Jesus said this, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Like whatever you buy here on earth, whatever tangible thing that you have, like it'll wear down, it'll break down. Or even if you amass a massive amount of wealth, you will die. But you have, we have these money, we have these resources, and it says like as we give it away, as we are generous, we can store up treasures in heaven. Like just think about that, is there a better place to invest? Not touched by inflation, not touched by like a crumbling world economy or whatever it is, like nothing's touching. As we're like generous here on earth and storing up treasures in heaven, Nothing's touching that. It'll last forever. It says it's a good foundation for the future. And what does it say as you're building a good foundation for the future so that they, talking to the rich or us, that we may take hold of that which is truly life. So it's, it's also saying, in a sense, if we're not doing that, we can take hold of something that's not truly life. On this, in this Short time that we have here on this earth, 1 Timothy 6, 12, Paul already exhorted Timothy, take hold of the eternal life to which you're called. Take hold of it. Grab it. Walk in it. Live it out. There's always this, this tension we have. We're living here in the here and now, but we also, in the present, but we also want to have the future ahead, heaven. The reality is that in front of our face. 2 Corinthians four eighteen it says this, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're passing away, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I believe Shakespeare said, all that glitters is not gold. All that seems like life, like this is life, go after it in this world, is not actually truly life. And as you give away here on earth and you're storing up treasures in heaven, laying a good foundation for the future, as you're giving away you can take hold of the life which is truly life, which is life in Jesus Christ. 
Being generous and sharing what we have helps us take hold of that which is truly life. One way to make sure that the world riches do not hold, have a hold of our hearts is to give riches away. We cannot hoard what we do not have. Like if you think about that, if we're like, ah, I'm, I'm holding on, like Lord, change my heart, change, okay, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give some of this away. There's, there's freedom in that. Because again, the opposite, if we're just like, we're keeping, we're amassing, we're holding, greed and selfishness help us to ensure we will not take hold of that which is truly life. We'll take hold of something else. But I love this, this thought, you can't take it with you unless you give it away. You can't take it with you unless you're giving it away. You're like, hey, Lord, Lord use it here. I'm giving it to this church. I'm giving it to this mission organization. I'm giving it to help these people. They're storing it up in heaven. Amazing. That's, that's our, our, our calling to live in this present life with always an eye to the future life to come. And if we're doing that, it'll help us to look to think differently about the resources we have currently. Take hold of what, that which is truly life. Again, enjoy life. Just don't get fixed on it. Give thanks for it. Don't worship it. Invest what truly lasts. Again, verse 18. Do good. Be rich in good works. Be generous and ready to share. Now turning our attention to verse 20 to 21. I want us to see the responsibility of true riches. The responsibility of true riches. Paul ends this letter O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you, avoid. Guard and avoid. We've seen this all throughout this letter, this letter of, of false teachers, like, hey, watch, watch out for these false teachers. This is what they're about. Like, turn from them. Timothy, watch out for these people who love money, who are just, like, going after with all their hearts. Flee from them. Pursue these things. We always see these two things. Flee, pursue. Avoid, Guard. I want to just look at what he has to avoid first and then finish with what he has to guard and how we can apply this to our lives. Paul calls Timothy, avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what's falsely called knowledge. Again, he's mentioned this a number of times, these false teachers that are present in the church at Ephesus. And just like Timothy, a number of us, we can all get kind of sucked sometimes into this teaching or these conversations, people who are talking with irreverent babble, contradictions, what is falsely called knowledge. Another way to translate it, have worldly and empty chatter. Like they're saying lots, but they're not saying anything of substance. We see warnings all throughout this book in 4.7. Paul says to Timothy, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather train yourself for godliness. In 2 Timothy 2.16, Paul says again to Timothy, avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Again, this irreverent babble, worldly and empty chatter, it has the appearance of truth. It has the appearance of godliness. Like some hidden knowledge, like maybe you've never heard this teaching before, but this will get you closer to God. You're like, oh, like what is it? But actually, how do you test it? It'll lead you away from the from the truth. It'll read you away from the faith, away from Jesus Christ. That's the true test. In this teaching and what you're hearing, is this leading you closer to Jesus Christ or is it leading you away from him? And what does it say of these people, these teachers? 
Contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. These people were leaving the faith. It said actually all throughout this letter, it's mentioned these people. In, in 1 verse 6, it says, certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away from in, into vain, vain discussion. What do they swerve from? Verse 5, a good conscience and a sincere faith. In verse 19, by rejecting this, rejecting what? Faith and a good conscience. Some have made shipwreck of their faith. And in 4.1, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. I just want you, did you see that pattern? There's these people that are swerving, they're leaving the faith, they're running away, and, and what's the kind of pattern? They're not listening to their conscience or their sincere faith. Our conscience can be a good check. We're like, oh, I, I don't think I'm supposed to go down this path. I don't think I'm supposed to continue to listen to this. We need to listen to that right away. These false teachers are like, no, they just kept going. Their conscience was seared. It was broken. And they were departing. They were leaving the faith. There's this strong warning here at the end of Timothy. Some will swerve from the faith. Again, what do we do? We pray for them. We reach out to them. We share the gospel with them. We call them to like, turn from your ways. Turn from your, the teaching you're following. Again, believe in Jesus Christ. Plead with them. Call them to turn back. But, but for all of us, if we happen to be hearing someone teaching or someone talking, irreverent babble, contradictions, what is falsely called knowledge. We need to avoid those conversations, avoid those people. If someone's just saying like, hey, following God makes you rich and wealthy. You're like, really? Like Jesus Christ, who like there was nowhere for to lay, lay his head and he was nailed to a Roman cross? I don't, I don't see that in scripture. We're like, hey, hey. Sexuality is just a social construct. It's on a spectrum. You're like, no, no, I, I read that God made us male and female. We need, we need to work through that. Or people are like, hey, like God's not really fully in control of this world. No, I, even, I see here in 1 Timothy, he says, the only sovereign, the king of kings and lord of lords. False knowledge is contrary to the, tr to the truth. Here's, here's the deal, though. You have to listen for a time in order to hear it, right? And as you're listening, maybe if it's someone that you know, maybe you have a chance to correct them, like point them to the truth. Or maybe you're just listening online, you hear something, you're like, okay, I gotta shut that off, this is not good. So when you do, when you do realize this is just false knowledge, this is just babble, we need to step back from it, it's not for our good. So that's Paul, warning to Timothy, but then he also says this, that's negatively, avoid, positively guard. He says, verse 20, oh, Timothy, oh, Timothy, what he's doing in, in the Greek, that oh, he's getting his attention, he's underlining it, he's highlighting it. Bold text, as in if you're texting like all capitals, right? If you get a text in all capitals, like why are they shouting? <laughs> That's what's happening here. He's like, all capitals, oh, Timothy, as I finish, like, don't miss this. Yes, you've read the letter. You've read the letter to the church, but hear this last part. Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. 
Guard the deposit. It's an act of guarding. Not a sitting back, not a hiding something, but using it, keeping it, practicing it. Guard the deposit. The deposit means like the property entrusted to another person. Like imagine someone's like, hey, I'm going away on a long trip. I want you to stay in my house. I want you to hey, make your house your own. Like use it. Use every appliance in there. You're entrusted with it. You've been given the deposit. You've been given something to look after and something you can use. So it's not like, okay, like we're not ever going to set foot in there. We're still, we got to cut the grass. We got to look after it. We got to keep it clean. But it's not like you're like, I don't like this wall in the kitchen. I'm going to knock it down. I'm going to renovate the basement. I'm going to park my car in the grass. That wouldn't be caring for it, right? But it's, so it's like be giving something, a deposit. It's not yours, but something that you can use, actively use, but not change what it is. What has Timothy been entrusted with? We were told earlier in the letter, throughout 1 Timothy 1.11, end of verse 10, Paul talks about sound doctrine that is in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So Paul was first entrusted with the gospel, with sound doctrine, with sound teaching. That was Paul's mission to go and proclaim. And then he also, in verse 18, he called Timothy. He entrusted it to Timothy. He entrusted him with the gospel. We see in 115, what is the gospel? Paul says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. As a part of the gospel. If you just think of the gospel, it's kind of just in four points. For sure, if we're understanding the gospel, we've got to understand God. That God is holy. God is righteous. And no sin, no wrongdoing can dwell in God's uh, presence. God, but then us. Men, women, we are not holy. We're sinful. We do what's wrong. We, we selfishly go our own ways. There's a big problem, sin between us and God, the creator, the one who made us. But if you grew up in the church, you know God doesn't leave us there. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ. Whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So we have God we have mankind, sin is in the way, but Jesus, he lived a perfect life. He took our sin and the punishment that we deserve for our sin on the cross, was buried in the grave and rose again. We have God, we have man, we have Christ. And then there's a response that's called from the gospel. Okay, Jesus, he died for my sins. He was buried in the grave and he rose again. And then the part of the proclamation is like anyone who believes in Jesus, who puts their faith and trust in him, saying, God, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for my wrongdoing. I'm believing in Jesus. He died for me. We can be forgiven. We can be made, made right with God the Father. Paul and Timothy were entrusted with that message. Don't add anything to the message, Timothy. Don't take anything away. Proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. He saves sinners. Paul's like, I'm the worst. That's why he came. But by guarding it, we are to proclaim it. We're also being given sound doctrine. The church has been given sound doctrine. Is it not to like, you come to church, read a passage, close the book, give you seven steps to a better you. No sound doctrine. Like, what's the word of God say? That's what we've been entrusted with. 
We need to faithfully proclaim it. We have in this letter that Timothy was entrusted with, we are how to be the church. 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul writes, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. As we've been going through this letter, we looked at leadership. Who should be elders? Who should be deacons? What should the church be about? What should our function be? We should be about teaching, proclaiming, scripture. So just think about this again. As, as Paul was entrusted with the gospel and sound doctrine, and then he entrusted Timothy, and he passed it on to him. Timothy, you've been entrusted. Now you be faithful. And then, friends, all of us, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we have been entrusted now with the same thing. We've been entrusted with the gospel. We've been entrusted with sound doctrine. How can we be faithful to what has been put into our hands? I want you to see in 2 Timothy 1, 13 and 14, this is one way Paul calls Timothy again. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. How? By this Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. We can't do it ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit to do it, to guard, to proclaim it, to use it. But just think, how can we use what has been given to us? One, I think we have to continually have an open Bible. We are so blessed in Canada, in North America, as in we have English Bibles, different translations that we can read. We're, currently, we have the freedom that we can like, gather together and open up the scripture in our homes, and we can pray. We have so many resources in Canada. We've been entrusted with so much. May we use it. May we continue to grow up, each of us individually, and knowing who God is, knowing what he has called us. We've been entrusted. Open our Bibles. We've been entrusted with this message of the gospel. May we faithfully proclaim, faithfully make known, even as as we're products of those of the of Reformation. And what I, what I mean by that is like when we're proclaiming Christ, it's like it's through faith alone, through Christ alone, through grace alone. And our authority is Scripture alone so that God will get all the glory alone. I don't forgive sins. You don't forgive sins. God forgives sins through faith in Jesus Christ. That's our message. We need to proclaim it. We've been entrusted with it, not to hold it, but to let everyone know that is how we guard it. Oh, friends, it is our time. Timothy was entrusted. It's been passed on to us. May we be found faithful. This is how we want to be faithful with true riches of Christ. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us to be good stewards of what we have been given. Friends, just in, in closing this letter, I guess we had over 25 messages in 1 Timothy I just like, as we're leaving this book, as we're closing it, I just want you to think, I want you to pray. What's like one thing you, you don't want to forget? One thing that you've heard that like taking with me into the spring, into the summer, I don't want to forget this from 1 Timothy. We need to be better stewards at the things that we've been given. And I, and I know it's like, man, you talked for so long. I for, you've forgotten so much. But like, just like, what's one thing either today or, or the previous weeks Take with us, God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, help me to live this out. Help me to practice this. I read the scripture. I do not want to forget 1 Timothy 1.15. I do not want to forget the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 
of whom I am the foremost. Lord, tattoo that on my heart. And how does Paul close this letter? I want you to see this. How does he finish? Grace be with you. Grace be with you. The you there is plural. He's talking to everyone. Grace be with you. What's grace? Grace is God's undeserving favor. His mercy, we haven't earned, we've done nothing. Just out of his kindness, he pours it down upon us. Grace is how we begin the Christian life. Believing in Jesus Christ is by his grace. How do we continue on the Christian life? It's God's undeserving favor and mercy. We continue on because of his grace. We see in this letter how we're called to live out the Christian life. Verse 12, we are to flee things and pursue things. We are to fight the good fight. We saw here this morning, we are to do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share. We are to guard what, that which has been entrusted to us. How? By God's grace. We're not going to do it perfectly. We're going to mess up. He's so merciful and kind. He will give us the strength we need to continue to go. Friends, I hope you saw here this morning, hope in what is certain, God and God alone. Invest in what lasts, being generous with what God has put in our hands. And the responsibility of true riches, the gospel, sound doctrine, we must use it, we must share it, we must live it, all by God's grace, that he would get the praise that he alone deserves. Amen. If you want to bow with me as I close this word in prayer. Oh, Lord. Just in, re in reflecting, I know you've taught me so much through this uh, letter, your living word. I pray you've taught all of us so many things. I pray even this morning, God, that you would apply this word to our hearts. You would seal it by your spirit. That which is from you, Lord, may we not lose. That which is from me may just fall to the side. Oh God, help us to be faithful in what you put in our hands. Help us to be fruitful with the gospel message. Oh Lord, continue to use it in our lives and give us eyes to see those we can share it with. Oh Lord, be glorified, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.